Hello, Production Master Dave here with a note. One, I love you. Two, I had a small short in my cable this week. Once in a while, my audio drops out for like a millisecond. So once in a while, we miss a syllable on one of my words. So apologies. We think it says oatmeal. Is that what the word is? This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 389 for the week of January 10th, 2022. I am Cake Drippage, David T. Cole, and I'm here with Coke and Brow, Sarity Bunting. Band name called it. The Bobby Tarariana. What's all this then? And chronic overthinker, Jessica Leese. Wait, is that everything I have to do? Do I have to do something else? Is that it? <laughs> Welcome back to Extra Hot Great, our first regular episode of 2022. My God. Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, Happy New Year. Our guest this week, she's the co-host and resident Amazing Race expert on Rob Has a Podcast. It's Jessica Lee. Jessica. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Before we get into the topic, which, spoiler, is The Amazing Race, we have a little site business, a correction from our last episode, the all-game-time episode. Sarah got a question in which I confused which shows the blonde fashion experts Clinton Kelly and Carson Kressley are or were on. I said... Clinton Kelly was from Queer Eye. He's not. He was from What Not to Wear. So I apologize to the listener. I apologize to you, Sarah. And Sarah, I'm awarding you one more uh, steel meal for my error. Ooh. All right, let's get into our lead topic, The Amazing Race. It is season 33. People probably already know this, but in CBS's long-running reality show, teams of two who have a pre-existing relationship compete in a race around the world. Teens this time include, among others, a man who served time after a subsequently overturned wrongful conviction and his lifelong best friend, two pairs of YouTube breakout stars, twin radio hosts, singing cops, flight attendants, a couple who've been long-distance dating since they met on Long Island, and two of the guys who interrupted a terrorist attack on a French train and played themselves in Clint Eastwood's movie about the incident. Who will win? As we record this... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Only the two-part premiere has aired. That is all we've seen. Let's do the Chen check-in. Jessica, should our listeners watch this season of The Amazing Race? I'm a little biased, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Sarah? Uh, yes, for sure. Dave? If you haven't made up your mind yet on Amazing Race, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I can help you. But if you like Amazing Race, guess what? More Amazing Race. It's yeah. Amazing so, Racey. Yeah. This this one kind of got me back into it. If I, we had fallen mm-hmm. off it, but I, I I remembered what I liked about it from from revisiting it, as often is the case. So, Jessica, this season would not have been on our radar for the podcast because we've fallen off it, as I just said. But tell the listener what you told us to convince us that it might be interesting to check back in this time. Well, first of all, I'm gratified that it had the intended effect because (laughs) I'd really kind of hoped that if I bring it up, you'd get back on the horse. Yes, you get a Um, bonus for being on the Amazing Race street team and uh, (laughs) converting at least the two of us. You get an Amazing Race steel meal. (laughs) Uh, Kogan's Heroes. But the reason that I put it back on your radar to begin with was... The fact that the production of this season of The Amazing Race is so weird, owing to the fact that 
existence as we know it is now super duper weird. And (laughs) essentially what happened with this season was they cast the season, they got everybody out, they're doing the race, it's normal race, very fun. And then after leg three, they said, oh, there's a pandemic, we got to go home, shut it down. And so they shut it down for 18 months (laughs) while they figured out what to do and then got almost everybody back and finished the race which I think I cannot wait to see how this all comes together. And I would say after the first episode, it's just really wild to get this snapshot of life right before everything got upended. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone is so tantalizing. I have not read spoilers, but it didn't occur to me until someone tweeted it at me how much team members' lives could change during an 18-month stop-down, like, for example, you know, people might have had babies, people might have split up, who knows? But uh, given what we've already seen, and I have not read spoilers, as I said, I doubt that Love Island couple made it. (laughs) Whether they did quarantine together or didn't quarantine together, it seems rough for them. Yeah, it's as always the case when your relationship is kicked off by being on a reality show together, unless you're Robin Amber, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. What's fascinating about this also to me is that the very first season of The Amazing Race was supposed to debut like, I don't even remember, like September 12th, 2001. Mm -hmm. And it they did eventually uh, premiere at like the 26th of that month. But it's funny to watch this and have them like just crowding into cabs or going into airports normally. Nobody has a mask on. They're snuggled up with their like, you know, hugging these um hugging the clue givers in uh, Trafalgar Square. And that that's still hard for me to watch and like incorporate into my current worldview. But there's that interesting parallel with the very first season where they were just running around in airports, like paying like they had, you know, that fistful of amazing race bucks that they would use mm-hmm. and uh, just like running up onto flights at the last minute. There's hardly any security. And then sort of during the filming of that, everything kind of changes. So that's an interesting parallel to me mm-hmm. to be like, well, how are they? You know, this is one of the great reality shows ever. But how are they going to do a season two now that everybody has to take their shoes off all the time? And of course, you know, they they figured out ways, but it's, you know, but we'll see, mm. I guess. Looking forward <laughs> to seeing how closely everyone tries to match up their hairstyles. <laughs> right. I think one of the transitional things they could have done and they didn't, and it's a missed opportunity, but I think there's still time is, you remember when everything started and there was like 10,000 different metrics and happy birthday twice one out on how long you should wash your hands, but mm-hmm. they should have montages of people washing their hands to the theme of Amazing Race. <laughs> And that would have been like the opening for the transit, like episode three, where they actually transition. That should be the that should be the opening. I'm telling you, viral sensation. One more question for Jessica, just generally about the Amazing Race before we get into this this particular season. How long has it been since they stopped having a starting line? This is the first time. Oh, really? Oh, okay. They have had starting lines. I think every single one up to this one, and it's almost kind of scary that they predicted how things are going to kick off from now on because this all happened in the before times and there's no reason they shouldn't have been in like a random football field. Yeah. And I don't know why they did it that way this time because (laughs) the only thing I can think of is that the internet pretty much always knows when they're about to start filming 
and either is allowed to go and hang out at the starting line or goes there anyway and takes pictures with a long lens. So uh, it might be just to foil the spoiler people who sure. already knew it was kicking off anyway. So I don't even think it was that successful. Yeah. All right. Fair. All right. So excusing Dave from answering this one, since we all know he has a cold black heart. Was I the only one who got weirdly emotional seeing everyone saying their goodbyes and embarking on the race? Because I got a little choked up, Jessica. I mean, it, it was it was sweet. It, it I mean, I can be a little cynical about that kind of stuff. It felt a little bit maudlin mm-hmm. because it's also you're not going off to war. Right. You are going on a game show. But, yeah. you know, it. It was nice. It's nice to see that these people have rich inner lives. Mm-hmm. They're not off for war, but they also are not here to make friends. So no, a little true. bit of a war. I mean, nobody said that yet. So maybe they are there not to yet. make friends. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's early. It's early. Um, I didn't get choked up at that part, but seeing uh, Ryan Ferguson, the guy who spent 10 years behind bars uh, around a wrongful conviction and then had an MTV show called Unlocking the Truth, that was not perfect but i'm a little sad it didn't get a second season um i think he also pops up in the amanda knox documentary from Mm. a few years ago um and like he's just like cute in my opinion first of all and second of all like there he is just like in this teeny little mail train like out living his best life like of course this is what he does that he's like you know, everyone else can go to Disney World. I'm going on the amazing race. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be not just out of jail. I'm going to be the outest of jailists <laughs> that is possible to be. And uh, that that made me emotional. Yeah. And also, like, how psyched his friend is to be just hanging out and how psyched they are to just be doing this. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, that was great. It It was really nice to just see like Phil and his little necklace again. I don't I got a little misty a few times just because it was like this is my version of nature healing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is people like looking directly at a clue that says the amazing race on it and be like being like nah, that can't be it. Like, oh, here we we're back. But it's also the amazing race is something that's on TV that reaches back to when we were starting yeah. our TV mm-hmm. careers. Yep. So it's like mm-hmm. one of the longest sort of throughputs back to the days where all this was fresh. Mm-hmm. The world was still operating. We weren't quite circling the drain yet. <laughs> so there's like this, even though it is like different because of the situation now, it is also very nostalgic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because mm-hmm. because of the nice. things that don't change, like I'm sure it's going to be weird when we come back in a couple episodes and everyone is in masks, but like, they, mm-hmm. you know, they can't use smartphones to look shit up. They have to just rely, right. like all of the things are the same that they would have to do in the early seasons of like, you have to rely on strangers. You have to use your wits. You have to just interact with the world and the world, it's still there. Like, yay, <laughs> it's nice to see it. Mm-hmm. Hey. I feel like more shows, I mean, obviously in reality shows, I I feel like that is like one of the base things is like cell phones going to basket. Mm -hmm. But when they don't do that, it kind of annoys me. And this is a quick aside. Taskmaster, sometimes they use their cell phones to look up stuff and it bothers me. I feel like they should not have their phones with them to do sort of reality show-esque tasks, even if it's something absurd. I feel like it kind of ruins, you know, the ideal of the show. Yeah, but it's it's good. And I feel like that's also why like a lot of shows in the last couple of years are set 
in the mm-hmm. 90s or in the 80s now is because there are so many stupid tropes that cell phones destroy instantly. Yes. And, yeah. and you don't want to fall back on the like, oh, no, I lost service or my phone died. We're to right. explain yeah. why you can't use it. Anyway, back to this show. Yes, yes. We yes. saw in the tease that more than one team is going to get fucked up by not knowing how to drive stick, which, Jessica, how do you not teach yourself this before you go on season 33? Yeah. Have you ever even seen The Amazing Race? Yeah. It's like, yeah. drive stick, learn how to swim. Know that the green pump is diesel. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Agree oh, who's doing the classic. food challenges if one of you has food issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's doing Space the heights? It. Yeah. Read your clue. Mm-hmm. That's come up a few times already. Yeah. But these are also, in several cases, people who also just don't know things. <laughs> yeah. Not knowing things is one thing. Thinking you know things and not knowing things is where great TV is made. Like the flight attendants that were very boastful about being very cosmopolitan because they fly places and yet not knowing some very, very basic things about the country they were in Mm -hmm. is great. I love that kind of stuff where, you know, there are petards involved. Um, (laughs) And uh, just like that sort of casting is like an art form. Just find that right amount of can-do with just the right amount of can't do. It's great. <laughs> and I think you gotta, yeah, you gotta let this be a lesson to everybody that thinks they would like to go on one of these shows. If you are cast for one of these shows, you gotta take into account the fact that production is going to find those things in you and they're going to exploit the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. So you have to be psychologically prepared for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Although speaking of not knowing things, how many as a percentage of the people who uh, saw Boris Johnson and the Queen at the Fish and Chips place, how many of them thought it was the real Boris and and Queen, (laughs) do we think? It wasn't zero. I got to guess that. I don't think it was zero. No, I think it was almost half, actually. (laughs) They seemed really excited for if they thought that they were just, you know, if they knew they were impersonators. I don't know how they wouldn't, but... It was just like some genuine excitement there that I was like, mm, maybe, yeah. maybe they. Boris mm. Johnson, what's going on, my guy? Like, I just, I loved that <laughs> delivery, but I just don't think that was. I I do not think I would be that excited to see the real Boris Johnson, if we're being honest. <laughs> they were all ignoring him. That was a funny yeah. part. Is yeah. the Boris Johnson guys just sitting there taking it as they're all giving compliments <laughs> to the Queen and getting hugs and doing bike selfies? Oh my god! It's <laughs> just sitting god. there smiling. And great. in the interest of full disclosure, I will admit I did not know that Norway is not in the EU. That was that I was a, that, that was a fact I learned when we watched this one. Well, I think the tricky thing was that Brexit had happened. Like they had fully Brexited maybe three weeks before they filmed this. Yeah. So yeah. that was the really tricky one, I think. Mm. And. I see. I, I think maybe that should have been, you know, at, at front of mind mm-hmm. if they are actually like looking into the country that they might be going to at all or arriving there. Like it had to still be in the headlines on, say, a newspaper on the street or something yeah. like that. Like I feel like that should have helped them, but yet it didn't. But at least nobody. So the challenge was. I mean, we're sort of skipping around, but one of the challenges we're talking about it was a detour, and they had to go into a bakery and decorate cakes. And they had a choice of flags and they had to pick two that were in the EU. And there were some ludicrous choices like the Jamaican flag, the Texan flag. But then they had a whole bunch of European ones, including some ones like if you put the UK in there, you kind of missed it by a few weeks or Norway wasn't one. And so there was some gotchas there. And uh, I thought that was a clever. Mm -hmm. That was a a clever challenge. I like the ones that are are not completely trivial or 
physical. That that was a nice mix of them both. So I thought that was a great one to have in the Well, or skills-based, because the other option, that one, was darts, which, like, why would anyone pick darts? I would have picked darts. Oh, okay. Oh, man. So frustrating. pretty good at darts somehow. Mm. While we're on the cake one, though, the cake challenge, a particular moment in the cake challenge reminded me of one of the reasons why I originally dropped The Amazing Grace is when you see the hand of God on the screen where the Judge Baker, who they bring their two cakes to, and he will determine whether they're both in the EU. That's binary. (laughs) But then he'll also judge you on whether the cake is presentable to be something he could sell or whatever the metric Mm -hmm. is. One team comes in and they have a blackberry drippage on the side and he sends them back and they have to clean it up. At least two other teams, more than two, probably Mm -hmm. three or four, also had visible drippage. Mm -hmm. Not Blackberry, mind you, but it was yeah. red or it was very yellow. It was obvious that it had dripped just as much as the Blackberry, but they didn't get sent back. At least they didn't get sent back on the edit. Right. Mm-hmm. But that sort of thing where you can see the hand of a producer going to the show irks me. And I know I feel like if you're really into this kind of show, at a certain point, you just accept those moments as part of what you get. Yeah. But they still, for me, those are the moments where I'm like, oh, I wish they could have been consistent there. I really would have enjoyed it more because I feel like I am being manipulated into feeling something for for someone. It's really funny that you bring that up, Dave, because uh, one of the teams that is on the show this season, uh, the Holderness family, they're like YouTube people. They have a podcast where they've been breaking this stuff down. And, you know, you can go down a podcast rabbit hole and listen to like 20 hours of Amazing Race content from various places if you want. Mm -hmm. But they pointed out this exact thing and they said that it actually, those kinds of tasks informed what they wanted to do before they went on the race. They said that they really decided ahead of time they were going to pick any task that was quantitative versus qualitative. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they it all went out the window once they were on the show. But that's something that I think if you're going to go on the show, you've got to take into account that there might be a task where they're going to let the really hot people go ahead of you, even though they did a worse job. Mm, yeah. Well, and I think the I think the issue there, too, is that like on other shows, this isn't as bothersome because I think we sort of collectively think of The Amazing Race as this um like benchmark of um, propriety. In- it feels more meritocratic. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it, it also, it feels more like whenever they sort of add a new thing, that's like a, whatever, like new this season, the jug handle, everyone's like, ah, like <laughs> very up in arms. I mean, you know, legitimately, uh-huh. sure. if they added a jug handle, it's a terrible idea. Like Amazing Race, New Jersey. No one wants that. But like, I think there is a, it has a greater feeling of being like a public trust type of show. Yeah than most reality shows so when stuff like that happens even if it's relatively minor and you do still feel like you can trust that the outcome wasn't affected it's more bothersome or at least it is to me to be like oh i i see the 23 year olds are going to be allowed to skate even though there's papaya all over the side and it's like (laughs) but that's not like that doesn't seem like um who the amazing race is so to say can i give you Sorry, can I give you an example of how I felt the same exact feeling is the first time I saw a National Geographic editorialized cover instead of just a photo of something. And I thought, oh, something's changed here. I don't like it. It doesn't feel the same. It's not authoritative. You know, it speaks from a different angle that I want from this product. And I felt the same way as you felt 
at that moment yeah. of Amazing Race. It probably would have bothered me more if the victim had not been Penn and Kim, but I find them very annoying. And this was the <laughs> same hour of programming in which, as Jessica alluded earlier, <laughs> he picked up a clue that said The Amazing Race and somehow talked himself out of thinking that was the thing he was supposed to find. Jessica, discuss what happened there. <laughs> I mean, I what I what I saw happening there is a perfect illustration of the reason why I would never personally go on the amazing race because this is how I would attack every single challenge. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. oh, is that it? Did I do the thing? Should I have them check? I don't know. Playing producer while you're right. a contestant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Taskmaster has the same problem. Why, if I was on Taskmaster, where they do all the little tricks, like if you just looked under the table, the solution was yeah, there the yeah, whole time. Yeah. I'd be like looking around for half an hour before I actually started the task, and it turns out there was no clues, and I lose. <laughs> totally with you on that. One. Relatable content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, which team do you think has the best shot at winning? Let's start with our expert, Jessica. Well, I always my policy on these things, and I've had to pick a winner every year for the last nine years, every time this show is on. And Mm -hmm. my policy has always been find the most boring contestants and they are probably the ones that are going to go the furthest. And that has served me well. I've successfully picked a winner like more than half the time on that basis alone. And so for that reason, I am giving it to the train terrorist guys. They are very (laughs) fit. They are not very dynamic. I don't know how Clint Eastwood pulled performances out of them because they really do not seem to be able to address a camera in any engaging fashion. They might mm-hmm. get more comfortable over time. I might like them better over time. But when they won the first leg, I'm like, okay, I'm happy with my pick. <laughs> Sarah, what was what would your pick be? I think that um, Jessica is probably correct. But um, Ryan and Dusty look pretty likely to me. And I think they're definitely going to be fan favorites over the other two guys. Yeah. Um. Uh, Rye Ferg's camera presence has um, really improved over the last few years. And um, maybe this is just wishful thinking because I like them. But yeah, they seem they seem to have the fewest um, foundation flaws. Yes, I think they I think they have the same strengths probably as the train guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were they are my pick to win, perhaps for biased reasons, because I know that the train guys are being like prompted to keep talking about like what we learned from that thing we did <laughs> was like, I'm yeah. sure in their normal lives, they aren't always like, did you hear when I stopped a terrorist attack on the plane, the way or the train, <laughs> the way they are constantly being told to do it. So I'm I'm trying yeah. to not let myself be manipulated, but it is still annoying. Yeah, even they seem a little annoyed. At, <laughs> yeah. Like, they're just, like, trying yeah. to get a coffee, and it's like, this has nothing to do. Like, you could tell someone off camera was like, isn't this like that time? And they're like, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand the compunction to cast known entities, yeah. you know, whether they're from YouTube or whatever. Rather them not. When they have Kim and Penn at the start explaining who they are, and basically they're showing these videos, which are the most annoying things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Basically, this backstory I built for them, not knowing anything about them, is that they went out to be the stars of the new Target campaign. (laughs) They lost it, and they thought, well, we can just do Target commercials by ourselves. And they just went ahead and did it, and that's why they're famous. I don't need that sort of baggage with my contestants that said sad that the singing cops left only because they had a really good nickname for them and it's only for the people from western new york and that is pork on wet <laughs> if you understand that joke you really enjoyed it 
I think Jess's and Sarah's choices will, would be the two I would go for for the win. Um, I think I would like Ryan to win. Yeah, Ryan. And I mean, from a story standpoint, they mm-hmm. had a really last season of The Amazing Race had this tremendous finish that is like it was just like the mega happy ending from Wayne's World, whereby these lifelong fans of the show ended up winning and then there was a Matt proposal. And it was just like everybody was weeping. And I feel like the only thing you could do to top that is the guy that had to spend years in prison for a crime he didn't commit is out there in the world, as Sarah said, like being super out there. On the run. Yes. (laughs) Love it. Love it. I just want to add one more thing, and that is that I am delighted that I get to reintroduce The Amazing Race to you three. Because (laughs) as you said, this was like the salad days of television without pity. And I sincerely doubt that I would have been watching the amazing race this entire time if I hadn't had your sight to like keep me engaged the first few times I watched it. So that I really have, I really owe a lot to your presence as a place you could go to talk about it back in the day. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I have a couple more thoughts before we go. One let us all, as humanity, as citizens of the planet, stop saying, I appreciate you. Please, <laughs> please stop that. The Natural Museum should have been called the Tar Pit Stop. I don't know why that was Put wasn't a pin a in that, Dave. We'll get mm-hmm. to it. <laughs> oh, okay, great. And uh, I really don't like the Detroit versus everybody combative t-shirts. Why so angry, Detroit? Just like, let's go. Let's be friends. It is time to go around the dial. First up, Tar. Staying in the reality premiere lane, very different types of shows. Joe Millionaire, colon, for richer or poorer. You might remember Fox's sensation Joe Millionaire from the early, mid-2000s. It was exactly The Bachelor, except the women were all told that Evan, (laughs) the guy they were competing for, was rich, which he was not. What a cool, fun way to make a bunch of broads look like gold diggers. I didn't remember this until I looked at the Wikipedia entry, but Evan and the winner, Zora, spit a million-dollar cash prize. Did anyone else remember that? They didn't stay together. Surprise. The only thing I remember about Joe Millionaire was a little thing they did on The Simpsons about when all those bottom third Chiron oh, ad yeah. things started. That's the only thing I remember about <laughs> Joe Millionaire. I remember the infamous Chiron or caption, closed slurping. caption, yeah. slurping. Mm-hmm. So Fox tried to repeat this success by sending a different non-rich guy to Italy to try to romance a bunch of English-speaking European women who didn't know about the show for season two, but that experiment failed, and that was the end of the franchise until now. The new twist is that there are two dudes. Steven is some kind of farming and presumably real estate magnate from Missouri, supposedly has a net worth of $10 million, although it's reality TV, who knows. And then Kurt runs his own construction company, but he is not wealthy. And the ladies are all told that one guy's rich and the other one is not, but obviously they don't know which is which. And immediately we see how this show is going to be different in the social media era because Steven spots a lady in the crowd on like their first cocktail party event and tells the producers they follow each other on TikTok so she will know that he's the rich one. And it seems like they hustle her out of the group before she can tell anyone else about him. But then she gets removed from the competition. We don't really see any reaction from the other women about why they think this happened, which is weird. (laughs) Anyway, 
For the first episode, the women get randomly split into two groups. Half will have to go to a fancy ball and the other half to a honky-tonk to drink shots and flannels or whatever. And we're supposed to think the guys get to decide which date they each want to do, which I doubt. But of course, Kurt, the poor one, goes to the ball and Stephen, the rich one, goes to the shit kicker bar. And the honky-tonk date seems to go totally fine. The ball is a complete shit show before it even happens. The ladies are all provided gowns. They're not all unique. One makes another one mad by deciding to wear the same design. Oh, Bridget Kelly! In plenty of time for the one who's mad about it to switch dresses, which she doesn't do. And then the dress stealer, if you accept this framing, gets sloppy drunk at the event and has a crying fit in the middle of the party. Classic party shit. And a couple of other pairs of ladies get into little cat fights too. Kurt is not into it. Also, the lady that he likes the best is at the other party. So then there's a surprise elimination the next day when the broads are all, like, sitting around in their workout clothes. And, of course, none of the ones who caused drama at the ball get eliminated because producers want to keep getting them drunk on empty stomachs and have more fights. Instead, both the eliminated <laughs> ladies are from the honky-tonk date. One interrupted a serious conversation because she thought Stephen looked uncomfortable, and the other because she basically said she was not interested in moving from Los Angeles to his little farm town in Missouri. What a bitch! Anyway, um, <laughs> if you really love dating shows where everyone embarrasses themselves and the women go, woo, at every single announcement... This is for you. I'm probably good on it for now because I need to make room in my schedule for Married at First Sight. Season 14. Season 14. We're back in Boston for the first time since season six in 2018. And apparently there was a note from Lifetime that this time the accents should be at like 400 on a scale of 1 to 10. I have a clip. Sweet. I'm in. Love it. I'm Mark the Shark, a.k.a. MTS, and I'm looking for my wife, a.k.a. Mrs. Shark. She's out there, she's lost, she needs to be found, and I gotta find her. This is the missing piece. This is actually not the most cranked up to 11 version of it. There, when he goes to, the, when this guy who is the accentiest goes to pick out his tux, the woman who works at the store is like straight out of the town. But anyway, one of the first Boston couples is actually still married. Not the one where the groom ended up dating one of the show experts who is no longer employed by the show. Uh, So the current experts are up against it now, particularly since zero of the season 13 couples made it. So this season we have Jasmina and Michael. I have so far watched five hours of preseason specials and a three-hour season premiere, which, by the way, only got to one wedding. I still barely remember anything about either of these two except the Pastor Cal one of the experts thinks Michael might be too reserved and guarded for marriage to a stranger to work out for him. That said, much as Jessica said with regard to The Amazing Race, being boring and unmemorable is usually the best way to ensure that your married at first sight marriage will work out, so this could be good (laughs) for them. (laughs) Lindsay and Mark, we heard him just now, he is crazy looking. Please Google him. I don't mean he's unattractive, but he has extremely intense eyebrows that are like groomed to Jesus and crazy eyes and a flat top. It's a lot. He is currently looking after his mother and grandmother, both of whom are failing. His mother is in drug rehab, but given that he talks quite a bit about how he doesn't necessarily think she's going to survive the year, it doesn't sound like it's going great. Seems like a big part of why the experts matched him with Lindsay is that she's a nurse, so she might be more prepared than other people to take on a caretaking relationship, which also seems like it's setting her up for failure. But 
she is also extremely annoying, which may be a bigger problem. Like, after their very first conversation, Mark's like, she's got a lot of energy. Um, at the altar, she keeps interrupting his vows to do bits. Like, I look forward to hating her all season. I don't see these two making it. Oh, also, she gets super drunk on the way to the wedding. Noi and Steve. I was texting with our friend Stephanie Early Green about the show, as we always do. Her read on Noi was that she's the girl who thinks she's crazy and is actually totally basic. Uh, she has an alter ego she calls Noisy, who likes to dance on the roof. I don't know. Steve oh, got laid no. off from his job last year and spent a lot of time traveling and living in his car and still does not have full-time employment. I say this as a quasi-unemployed person. It's putting a lot of pressure on his stranger wife to take him on under those circumstances. So unless he gets a job right away, this is going to be an issue, I think. Alyssa and Chris, she keeps saying I rescue dogs and not I work in dog rescue, which makes me think she just volunteers or literally just finds dogs a lot. And the fact that she's using this activity as a substitute for personality <laughs> says a lot. She just covers herself in a fire walk around town. <laughs> yeah. Bacon! Lindsay's one good moment in the uh, premiere is during the joint bachelorette party where she's like, I get along with 95% of the other brides and lists all their good qualities and then is like, there's another one, right? What's her name? <laughs> um, so per the season super tease, Alyssa buys 10 wedding dresses, which tells you she's on the show for the right reasons. Meanwhile, Chris really wants to get a dog so much, he bought a crate and toys and a bowl and set them up in his house. And then when the expert comes for the home visit, he's like, oh, I don't have a dog yet. So I get why they set him up with the dog lady, but this is psycho behavior on his part. I can't tell if they're boring in the good way. She seems annoying also. And then finally, the most doomed. Katina and Olajuwon, she's the one who's getting done the most dirty by the show, experts. She is stunning. He is a pig, um, even on his home visit. <laughs> he made it clear that he expects to be waited on in marriage. And when Dr. Pepper was like, you expect her to have dinner on the table for you every night when you get home? He obviously could tell he was supposed to say no and did. And then when we see him telling his loved ones that he got matched... One of them asks what will happen if his wife doesn't cook, and his response is, that's not a wife. And then when they go out to a strip club for the bachelor party, he tells one of his friends that he wants a wife who will go to strip clubs with him, which, not to say there aren't women who want both to cook for their husbands every single night and then chase that with lap dances for two, but not ones that are applying to be on this show. Meanwhile... She does some kind of restaurant review thing on social media. I feel like he's going to get really weird about saying she's putting herself on display or something. Cannot, should not work out. Another excellent season of train wrecks. I love the show very, very much. And I have a plug, but I'm going to hold it for Dave's segment. All right, Jessica, what do you have? Well, first of all, I'm pretty sure that Tara talked about Married at First Sight the last time I was on the show. <laughs> I so think that's right. I, I mean, didn't listen. pretty good. Yeah. Do, do you just do that every week? No, no. <laughs> I try to only talk about it at the start and the end of the season. It's just that there are like five seasons a year. Yeah, you said like it feels like there was six seasons in a year or something the, the like last, that. Season six was in 2018 and we're now That's at season 14 <laughs> and it's 2022. So yeah, there's, I mean, All literally right. there are two seasons a year. Oh, so there boy. is a channel out there that is about 33% married after. Yes, Pub Lifetime. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, give it another, give it another year and Pluto TV will just have a constant stream of them. The dream. Mm -hmm. That, that is the dream. Um, so yeah, I've been um, I've been very excited about uh, the day after Christmas. Uh, Hulu premiered season ten of Letterkenny, which is uh, possibly the most Canadian show currently running. And I know that you guys were forced to watch an episode of Letterkenny that I think may not be completely indicative of the kind of show it is because. Okay. 
you watched the episode that was a 30-minute fart joke? Yes. Yeah. That was the feedback we consistently yes. got from people that were disappointed in our... In the end result was that it may have not been Letterkenny-ish. And enough. we didn't pick mm-hmm. it, to be clear. That was the one that yeah. was suggested. Yeah, I, I don't think you would have picked it. I, I mean, I know... <laughs> I know you like fart jokes, but yeah. does anybody like them like. that much? Mm. <laughs> anyway, continue. Um, and I have been trying to figure out, like, is there a canon I can pitch for you guys for Letter Kenny? But it's really one of those shows that's more, it's more a series of moments. And I feel like there are moments, if we had a moment canon, I could give you a mm-hmm. hundred of them. But the thing that I love about this show is that they have their own, like, well-developed universe. The world building on this is great. You immediately, like, you get the language they're speaking. It's a combination of, like, Canadian slang and hockey jargon. If you describe the show to somebody, it's like, oh, it's these four hicks that live in rural Ontario, and they drink a lot and get into fights, and they sit around smoking and talking. It's like... Yeah. King of the Hill be Slapshot. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's a very... That's a very astute observation, but it's also there are conversations they have that they just like they lay me out. And there was an episode this season that would it just revolved entirely around the quest to make the perfect Caesar. <laughs> and every every subsequent recipe got a little bit more complicated. And it's like this is extremely for the people that it is for. And. I that's that's what I appreciate about it. It's a it's a very funny program that's in its own little self-contained universe. And then once a year, you get six episodes of it (laughs) and then you have to wait another year for the next six. So day after Christmas, I was immediately up on it. um, And then a week later, I was done with it and I will miss it now until next Christmas. I mean, since it is Canadian, you should know it was Boxing Day. Not the day yeah. after Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that would that would explain why they dropped it when they dropped it. <laughs> I have one more note, which is I would say that it is probably the most Canadian thing on American TV. Certainly, if you want some more Canadian Canadian fare, you could definitely find it. I am it. always looking for Canadian content. It is all right. Danger Bay, go for it. Beachcombers. <laughs> <laughs> In, in this era where we're not going to get any Amazing Race Canada for at least another six months, I'm I'm always down for whatever Canadian content I can find. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you have to plug? And for my plug, um, I we've mentioned it earlier. I'm over on Rob Has a Podcast, recapping The Amazing Race every week. We record on Thursday mornings after the episode is aired. We are hoping later in the season that we'll be able to talk to the eliminated contestants as they get voted off. And then we also have a bonus podcast. I don't know if we're going to be doing it every weekend, but it's starting to look that way um, because we get good feedback on it. And that podcast is called, in fact, The Tar Pit. That's our place where we talk about like the craziness that is out there in the world surrounding the amazing race, like funny social media bits. We answer listener feedback. We do a little bit of fun and games. Um and we have guests on from our podcasting community and beyond. So that has been a very fun thing that we are glad to have the bandwidth to be able to bring back this season, even though life has continued apace and has started to kick back up. If you have recommendations for Canadian shows that Jessica should watch next, she <laughs> yes. is Haymaker Hattie on Twitter. That's right. Sarah D. I only got one show into the list over the break, um, most of which I spent knitting in front of old ER episodes, but uh, I did finally start Yellow Jackets. 
What is all the buzz about? Uh, Sorry. Um, I don't really have a ton to say about this. It hasn't already been said elsewhere. I'm only a few episodes into it. And I am using the ones remaining on demand as rewards for completing annoying organization tasks (laughs) at my office, which are myriad. Um, The show is not perfect. Some of the flashbacks seem a little oversubscribed to and ponderous about certain ideas about girl world, but it is such a pleasure to watch Linsky Lewis Ricci Cypress LLC in the 2021 timeline. I can't even, um, it, it often does things that you don't expect or sort of sets you up for something that you think will happen. And then it doesn't, or it does, but you stopped expecting it like 10 minutes before that. And then it's like, Oh no, here's what you thought was going to happen. I respect that. Um, it's also really been interesting to watch on a meta level, the show's visibility kind of exponentially ramping up on social media, uh, up to this point, it sort of started like the week after Christmas, I think. Um, but it's, you know, when the show premiered, which was, uh, middle of November, Tara talked about it in episode 381 of this fine podcast, it was like a handful of critics who were like, yeah, you should give it a try. It's interesting. And then it was like two dozen critics who were like, no, seriously, the shit rules. Um, and now fully half of my feed on any given social medium is all yellow jackets. Am I right? Like, <laughs> oh, OK. Um, yes, you are right. Um, it sort of parallels what happened with Succession, but just on a much faster timeline where the first season was one of those leftovers, the only critics had even seen it things. The second season, you had a bunch of civilians on the bus writing think pieces. And by the last season, literally every pop culture outlet was recapping Succession, including like popular science and Barons. Anyway, that too is fascinating to me over and above the show itself, just sort of how things make the jump from critical darling on perhaps a lesser or like lower tier prestige um concern um into uh into like gen pop um and when like what time of year um that can happen at and what the subject matter is like it's just you know there's a lot of variables and i'm just some poetry major who's talking to a microphone, but that is really interesting to watch for me. Um, I think I was supposed to weigh in on the New Jersey accent tree. Oh, the really bad one is in the finale. Generally speaking, girls like that from a place in New Jersey like this would not have accents. I had no accent until... Basically, I moved to Bay Ridge and had to um, deploy one in order to code switch successfully <laughs> and not get killed in Red State, Brooklyn. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I knew more people with Tennessee accents than Joycey ones when I was growing up. Let me just break in before you wrap it up. Sorry. I, I do think that the, in terms of like a prestige show on a lesser platform, like if this were on HBO Max, I think it would have been a huge sensation or, yeah. or HBO. But like people d- don't know from Showtime. Yeah, like they less fewer people have it. And I think that's why a lot of outlets like sort of missed the boat on it because I was I won't say which, but I was I was DMing with someone from a, a like a legacy publication. They were like, yeah, it's weird how we, you know, we we sort of let this one go by. And it's like, well, it, like who even knows what's going to hit? It's showtime. <laughs> like people don't know what it is. And this goes back to our complaints from our last yeah. Patreon and episode. We got burned on roadies. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll never do it again. Well, and they have been doing uh, really good work in the true crime documentary space for six years. Yeah. But nobody watches it because people and also people, I think, have a showtime in their bundle 
but forget. And they don't know. Yeah, people like and, you hear talk about this new Dexter a little. People talk about Billions when it's on, and I think it's coming back mm-hmm. soon. But like, other than that, it's it's a very buzzless place. Yellow Jackets join the hive. I am not sorry and will not apologize <laughs> for my plug. Here's another buzzy show from uh, a previous episode. Cheer is back on Netflix as you're listening to this. It dropped today. Also, as you're listening to this, we are having a conversation on my true crime review newsletter that I write with Mm -hmm. Eve Beatty, Best Evidence, about how shows should handle allegations against central figures. So if you have feelings about uh, Jerry on Cheer, about Chris Noth, about Sherry Pie on Drag Race, how their respective shows handled uh, their stars' bad acts. We are talking about responsibility to creation and audience, and you will find that and some more thoughts on old Ryan Ferguson and his show at bestevidence.fyi. I hope that you will join us. Most of our content is free. The stars at night are big and bright. Nine one one Lone Star is back for a new season, and they could not resist the siren song that was last year's winter apocalypse here in <laughs> Texas. So the season starts with ten thousand variations of "It's cold," <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, um, you can only do so many of "It's cold" before you get numb to it. Yeah. Pause for annoying. <laughs> Well done. Look, it's already gone on too long. Oh, he got he's cold because he got water on him. He's cold because he's under ice. He's cold because he was out looking for somebody who was lost in the snowstorm. It's just all cold stuff. And let me tell you, it's not that exciting. I understand the compunction to do something based on this. But what if, since it's a fictionalized version of what we experienced here in Austin and in Texas, Mm -hmm. what if it was like a snowstorm, but also like, you know, a volcano or something like that they've had (laughs) in the past? Like, this is the show that had exploding bull semen and the mini putt volcanoes and just all sorts of never would happen shit. The fact that they're here in the third season? It's the, yeah, season season three. three? Mm -hmm. Third season. And it's just like, the same thing over and over again. And they have this way of teasing one character's storyline, the beginning of one episode, not even doing anything with it until the next episode. And it's really not that interesting. It's not that important or not that crazy to really extend your interest into the next episode. I want the show to be crazier. I'm sure there's stuff they could have done that was bonkers that had to do with the snowstorm. Like, Texas isn't winterized, basically. So when we had a deep freeze, shit just started exploding. Like, where's the pipe that explodes out of the wall and goes into the guy's head? Like, where's Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff in the ice storm? That's Lone Star. Like, this storyline right here is 911 original Ray. It's very simple. Sort of level stuff. 911 Lone Star should be the I'm on mushrooms version of 911. (laughs) And it really isn't. Like, where is the storyline about like the all American, the high school football star who gets impaled by a Texas Cadillac Longhorns (laughs) hood ornament? Like, that is the kind of shit I'm here for. And they're not delivering. So I'm sad to say on the very first check in with 911 Lone Star, I cannot play the Texas clip because it is, we're not there yet. So we got to get past this storm, I think. And I don't know how many more episodes of the storm we have. Seems like at least one more. 
Knock on wood, two weeks' time, we'll well, be able to play it. Since, since we're here, I will mention my plug now because I got to interview the showrunner of both 911 and 911 Lone Star for Decider. Mm-hmm. We'll link that in the show notes. And he he talked about this because I, I basically said, once there was a freeze in Austin, you kind of had to do it. And he was like, yes, but it seems like he was sort of like... Eh, like even in the interview he's like we know it's not as as great as other ones have been like in in his answer mention, mentions the tsunami which was like a, a series great moment for 911 prime i would say mm-hmm. anyway it's a good interview he was fun to talk to his name is tim Minear, so uh you can find that at decider exactly if you want to watch just regular first responders doing stuff go watch one of the the chicago thingies <laughs> that'll that'll do you yeah. That's not why we're here at 911. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about what's happening on the EHG Universe next extra, extra hot great, which is available to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much, guys, for your continued support. We are watching the series premiere of Special. This is a listener forcing. Yes. So we're going to talk about that Netflix show that is available to any of our supporters at patreon.com slash extra hot great. And then right here on the next EHG Prime next week, Oh, boy. It is how I met your father. Your father. Oh, they turned the tables and there's something. And that is with Jordane Searles. And I'm also going to pre-plug this for Jordane since it's happening between now and when she's going to be on the podcast. She is introducing the movie In the Cut at the Nighthawk in Williamsburg, New York, next Tuesday, January 18th. We'll link it in the show notes where you can buy tickets if you want to check that out. Tiny triumph for me, Tara Ariano. Last year in our Extra Extra Hot Great bonus episode number 109 from March 5th, 2021, was around the time that Paramount Plus was launching or getting rebranded from CBS All Access, which it used to be called. And in light of that, I suggested, why don't we look at Paramount movies that could be turned into TV series because they had already listed a whole bunch of them that they were going to do that with Dirty Dancing, The Italian Job, blah, blah, blah. And so I suggested three because I'm a psycho. And one of them is happening. They're doing a series adaptation of Soap Dish on Paramount+. Plus. This is a co-production of CBS, or Paramount, I guess, and um, the NAACP and Whoopi Goldberg, who was the star of the original movie, is involved. It's not exactly what I suggested in my uh, in that episode, but I still am going to take credit for it. And I also want to mention the other two suggestions that I made from that episode. Uh, let's do a series adaptation of Saturday Night Fever in the style of High Maintenance, where we follow a different disco dancer to the club every week. And an odd couple style series adaptation of Albert Brooks's movie Mother. Both still great ideas. Come on, Paramount. Let's make it a three for three. credit topic comes to us from Greg L. It is called Pop Culture Veto, and Greg writes, you may each choose one TV property that will never again have further versions based on it. No more reboots, prequels, sequels, spinoffs, movie adaptations, international versions, etc. You may do this out of raw spite for the property or out of love and a desire to see it preserved perfectly in amber forever. I have a love pick and a spite pick, but I'm going to hold them for now and instead throw to our guest, Jessica. 
Well, I think I can't tell if this is a love pick or a spite pick. It's mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> there's such a mix of emotions with this one, but I my immediately thought of The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. This needs to end. Yeah. The series itself needs to end. Mm-hmm. The two spin-off series, well one of them did just end. World Beyond is over. Fear the Walking Dead needs to end. The Rick Grimes movies that were proposed several years ago that are allegedly being made that nobody knows anything about, those need to not happen. And the alleged Carol and Daryl spinoff that's coming up also does not need to happen because I feel like we have answered all of the important questions about the zombie apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And then we have gone on into some absurd side quests that have also, they have answered a lot of questions I didn't have about the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And we are now up to the questions that answering those questions will ruin the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> because the whole point of The Walking Dead, and I was a comics reader, I also do a podcast about all things Walking Dead over at Post Show Recaps. But the, I think maybe the, the nucleus of all things Walking Dead has always been, we don't know how the zombie apocalypse started. Right. This is just a thing that is that is now, and this is how people are dealing with it. And at the very end of Walking Dead World Beyond, I don't want to spoil the entire thing for everybody. They start to explain it. And oh, they no. start to get at the roots of how can we end it? How is it changing? <laughs> and they don't really answer it, but they hint at, we're going to try to answer it. We're going to try to figure it out now. And we're going to try to solve it. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end of that, it's like, oh no, solving it made it worse. And I just feel like this is the one thing, if I know the answer to all of this, it ruins my enjoyment. What little enjoyment right. I have left from this. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Can we all have one guess? And then only if we guess right, do you tell us? All right, go so, ahead. Uh, okay. Expired milk. Oh. <laughs> Aliens? Aliens is a good one. Yes. Um, Wiping in the wrong direction. Oh! <laughs> oh, no. That's very plausible, though. No. How dare you? Sorry. Yeah, and then to make to make Fear the Walking Dead interesting, they had to put in a literal nuclear apocalypse on top of the zombie apocalypse, and they also had to bring back Kim Dickens. So, mm. honestly, Walking Dead is done. Like, let's just let's just wrap it up and never look at it again. That seems fair, Sarah. Um, I also have a love pick and a spite pick. Um, for my love one, I'm going to say The Sopranos. Uh, I did not hate Many Saints of Newark. The show has proved fairly resistant to this sort of thing, with that one exception, which is good. Um, ongoing analysis slash rewatching of it still has gifts to offer us, which is good. Um, the man who played Tony Soprano is no longer on this side of the veil, which does sort of... Um, cauterize those nerve endings that are tempted to um, proceed uh, with this franchise in ways that it should not be proceeded with. Um, But just in case various anniversaries of premieres and finales suggest to some Fulio in the executive suites that it should be rebooted rebooted as Soprano Babies or Sopranos 2525 in space or whatever the hell, just no. It was fine. Uh, come on. If you had Sopranos in space, you would check it out, right? I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I, do, I don't want to have to check it out. I yes. just, I just right. want it to be done. The book, the book of Big Pussy? My spite pick. He now is a fish head. Uh, <laughs> my spite pick is the entire Buffyverse. 
that property, that character, its ancillary characters, spinoffs, comic books, whatever, had their moment. And the creator also had his moment. He spent it being an abusive pig dog. I have made my peace years ago after a Buffy rewatch with the idea that almost nothing gold can stay. The show was fine for its time, but doesn't hold up now. But mostly I'm just trying to punish Joss Whedon. Fuck that guy. Yeah. All right, I'll go next. Um, my love pick is very timely because we just started to rewatch it now that it's on Amazon Prime, but Kids in the Hall. And I know I'm too late because they started filming another eight episode season last May. So it's coming and I will probably watch it regardless. But there's something about especially that first season, which I think is really very good. Um that I I don't I just don't want to see them doing it now. <laughs> like, well, we watched that Death Comes to Kids in the Hall oh, movie, yeah. whatever that was called, and was, that was like it was uh, not good. It's mm. just like you know some some creative forces only work when they are a certain yes. age and have a certain don't give a fuck attitude yes. or have no shits to give because they have nowhere to go but yeah. up, and that's fine. I mean, like if you could make eight Kids in the Hall episodes a year in Canada, and then X years later, you're making 20 superstores a year in America and getting paid 10 times yeah. as much. Great. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you can't go back to the well. And I fear this is going to be I'm I'm worried about it. Uh, and the other thing about season one is when you watch it, though, it's like identify the one skit that they shouldn't have done and you can no longer really do yeah. now or wouldn't do now. There's, There's one at least episode. one in every episode yes. so far, like blackface or, yeah. you know, you're just like, oh, boy, I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But the ones that st- that hit still really hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, really it was Citizen skits. Kane forever. <laughs> Citizen Kane, yeah. <laughs> Dave. Yeah. All right, I am doing two shows on the I want them not to do anything with them anymore, you know, cock block mm-hmm. sort of thing. And they are two shows. They are The Littlest Hobo and The Prisoner, and I want them to not do it for exactly the same reason. They are okay. earnest, singular products of their yeah. time, and any reboot would either invite, in Little Hobo's case, like a winkiness or a mockery of it, and that's not where the original spirit lies. Or in the prisoners, like an overwrought interpretation of it or like a stupid kind of reduction of it, which they actually did with that AMC Ian McKellen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jesus oh, my God. Reboot I forgot about that. With, but uh, two shows, very different, but definitely like something that only existed in a very narrow point in time and can no longer be made with that spirit today. I don't think anybody could resist doing it unironically. Yeah. So let's just put the freeze on those two shows. It is time for the Extra Hot Great Canon. Our guest, Jessica, will be presenting this week. Take it away, Jessica. Today, I'm pitching The Letdown, Season 1, Episode 4, Trivial Pursuits, for the canon. The Letdown is an Australian comedy series that made its debut in 2017 and dropped on Netflix in the U.S. a few months later. The series follows new mom, Audrey, as she grapples with the unique pressures of new motherhood, Audrey attempts to form connections and find a sympathetic ear at the new mom's support group that forms the centerpiece of the series. But the support on offer typically seems less like new parents helping each other with their own emotions and more like one-upping each other on performative parenting. This is an aspect of parenting that the letdown captures really well. The isolation, the loss of identity, and the constant judgment both real and perceived. 
If your sense of humor tends to the dark, dry, and or cringy, you can also find a lot to laugh about. There is so much dark comedy to be mined here, and comparatively few shows have ever even tried to go there in a real way. This episode in particular is a great example of the letdown's strong grasp on its subject matter, as well as its self-deprecating wit. It's also an excellent self-contained portrait of a flawed heroine and a supporting cast of nuanced characters, the first of whom pops up in the opening scene. As Audrey rolls into the community center for her group meeting, she finally hears something that strikes a chord with her. Except it's not actually her group. She's accidentally arrived on the wrong day to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, which quickly becomes less anonymous when she's spotted by Scott, a drug dealer she frequently runs into while driving around at night trying to get the baby to sleep. And now that he's spotted her, she can't leave because she can't let these strangers think she's a secret addict in denial. Plus, you know, the baby's asleep. Patrick Brammel, who plays the drug dealer, is in basically every Australian show ever, and he has this sort of awkward earnestness in his delivery that seems to be his trademark. His approach to his career in this clip never fails to make me laugh. Clip one. There was such a, like a willingness to share. It was really refreshing. Yeah, it's full on though, hey? It gets pretty real. But hey, I'll miss seeing you around when I'm doing the... Oh, you're still driving this one around? Yeah, haven't cracked the sleeping. No, I'm still dealing. Oh, no, fuck yeah, I'm still dealing. Yeah, I just, I just want to get to a place where I'm not eating my profits. Do you know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> the meeting mix-up is only one sign of what Audrey fears is the onset of mommy brain, a rite of passage whereby a potent mix of exhaustion and lack of intellectual pursuits causes new parents to get dumber. Audrey has always considered herself the smart one of any group, and now that she's taken on the role of mom, it feels as though that's subsumed any other role she might have had claim to. Her workplace has basically replaced her, she's too exhausted to read, and she struggles to remember trivia at quiz night, but she still feels like she has to be exactly the same person she was before she gave birth, or at least present that image to everyone, which is how she winds up busted for low-stakes crimes like cheating at pub quiz. Clip two. Okay, okay, I'm done, sorry, sorry, can you please not suspend That's a disqualification for the highbrows. Fuck. Fuck it. Okay, is this disqualification, just to be clear, for this lady? Or is it for all of us? Can I join another team? <laughs> all of you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Okay, you can come back next week. The numbers aren't strong enough to really keep you in the <laughs> Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it yeah. Each episode of The Letdown spends some time with Audrey, but typically also gives a B-plot to one of the other characters. And this week, we get to know stay-at-home dad Reuben and his wife Esther. In sharp contrast with Audrey, Reuben is struggling with his own version of mommy brain, but in his case, he feels that it's not so much that he can't access the information he needs, it's that it no longer serves him. Or at least that's what he tells himself after he absolutely tanks a job interview. Clip three. So, Reuben, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Ooh, uh... Can I pass? <laughs> no. Ruben concludes from the whole thing that he wants to continue staying at home, a decision that Esther comes around to with mixed feelings. I never feel well-equipped to comment on acting ability, but I think Sasha Horler, who's also in every Australian show ever, does an outstanding job here of conveying about a dozen emotions at once as she takes out her frustrations on her employees and ultimately arrives at the decision to support Ruben's continued paternity leave. Ruben notes to Audrey at the end of the episode that mommy brain may not actually be a sign you're getting dumber, but a sign that your brain is adapting to new challenges. 
And with the help of Ruben and fellow group member Martha, and a final question that's maybe a little too on the nose, Audrey captures some confidence, reclaims her trivia honor, and starts to feel a little more like a human being in the process. Each episode of The Letdown allows for a little bit of incremental growth, which echoes, at least in my experience, the reality of having a baby. As you gradually adapt to the new stress of caring for a tiny human, and the baby adapts to the world, things get a little bit easier and you feel a little bit more like a person yourself. I mean, until they're about three and a half, then it all goes to hell again, but that's another story. (laughs) By the way, since I know you're going to ask, after seeing this happen in at least two other Australian shows, I did verify that it is absolutely a thing in Australia to win a giant plate of raw meat at Pub Quiz, (laughs) although I do not know how common it is to win fake meat. Anyway, I hope you'll do this episode in honor that is at least as good as a vegan meat tray and induct it into the extra hot great canon. Jessica, thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to go first because I've watched this show before. Uh, At one time, I was trying to get to pitch like a roundup of Australian sitcoms after around the time that Frayed came out. And so Mm -hmm. this is one of the ones that I, I checked out the pilot and then I never came back to it. And this reminded me that I should because it is very good. I am on the record um, as saying possibly to you directly that parenthood is um, a scam, I feel. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a scam that society is running on people. And I, what I loved about this episode in particular is that how much it shows like it's it's just a no win proposition for everyone. Like if you're the working parent like Esther, you feel like you're fucking up. If you're staying at home like Audrey, you feel like you're getting stupider. If you're Ruben and you're a stay-at-home dad like changing the paradigm of parenting, you're just like everyone no one takes you seriously including the other people at your new parent group <laughs> being really rude <laughs> like trying to say that, you know, He's not experiencing the downsides of parenting just because he did not physically give birth. Like, he's also sleep deprived. Like, all of these are of a piece. We don't have to, you know, make rude hormonal generalizations based on, like, what people physically did and did not do, in my opinion. The other thing about this episode and about the show in general, the previous episode that I saw, is um, they did cast an extraordinarily cute baby to play Audrey's daughter so that you can get like, okay, this is how they fucking get you. But in this episode, like, we barely see, I don't think we see the baby's face at all, maybe. We see Ruben's daughter for a minute. Right. and Also very cute. Yeah, and it does sort of, it, it points exactly to that. It's like, oh, look at how cute this is. That's why you do it. Yes. But it's not the focus of this episode, which I appreciated. Like, this is, you know, I mean, the show is called The Letdown. It kind of tips you as to what it is feeling about parenting. It's also a breastfeeding joke. Okay. I did not know that. Very good. The idea of the competitive parenting being the starting point of this and like paralleled in the trivia, the pub trivia, you know, um, storyline is is very well done. I just I don't want to say justice for Pete, but like I understand where he's coming from. <laughs> the angry trivia. Oh my there. God. Yes. <laughs> so you, relatable. You don't Can I wanna... join another team? <laughs> Been there. Yeah, I don't want to say I'm Pete. But we all know that I am Pete, and I str- I, I struggle against my Pete impulses yeah, every day. Sure. We do all do. You? We all do. Um, so yeah, this was this was really fun, and and thank yeah. you for reminding me to put like put it back on my radar. And uh, once again, much as you did with the Amazing Race, uh, to return to this show and um, watch the rest of the season because this was great. Sarah, I 
wrote down a number of lines that made me laugh and uh, your presentation checked off almost the entire list. Um, the only one that was left out was um, my memory. It's buffering, which I thought was clever. And uh, <laughs> the logic of cleaning for the cleaner conversation, which yes. like oh. yep. the um, what I liked about that is that um, they sort of nod at the fact that that's like a just a hacky bit that has been mentioned before, like in the culture. <laughs> but, and then they just like move on to fighting about what they're actually fighting about. But can Tara say what she yelled I, at me <laughs> out, because, out to the heavens when that happened? Because he has said, we have had this fight also because we have cleaners come in. Oh, same. And, and when, and when they, this fight was happening, I was like, because cleaners clean, they're not tidy. You have to, you have to clean off surfaces <laughs> so they can clean them. That's all. Continue, Sarah. Well, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I got clocked for this this morning. That he's like, <laughs> she is on the subway right now, and I was like, right. So grab a wipe, dickhead, because this is embarrassing. <laughs> but we're talking about a canon presentation, yeah. and not my marriage. But working from home has really ruined this whole cleaning for the cleaner thing because now when she comes over, I have to look her in the eye. So <laughs> I better be tidy. Yeah, food for thought. There is definitely Facebook groups and forums online where cleaners get together and just basically talk shit about oh, yeah. you. Oh, yeah. So like literal I, I feel like you're just mitigating, you know, how poorly they're talking about you by tidying. I didn't get it at first, but I've come around to Tara's thinking where it's like, it's not that you're trying to do their job for them, it's that you are enabling them to do a deeper exactly. clean. And they don't know where your stuff goes. No, it's true. It's sort of the same reason that like, okay, it's winter, but occasionally out of respect for the relationship, I will shave my legs. <laughs> Not every week. Occasionally. <laughs> what? It's a respect for the relationship thing that it's like, I'm going oh, to I take see, underwear off the floor because I respect that you are a trained professional who should not have to look at my draws. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Wow. How far afield are we? Hello. <laughs> this was sort of enjoyable to see like a comedy about the struggles of um, new parenthood coming from a part of the world where it is just like way less of a combat sport to do than the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, That the questions of um, identity and sort of like nostalgia for the person that you were before um, the scam was run on you as, as Tara wanted to, to have a cute baby and, become this other person with other priorities. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, so I enjoyed this, but I also felt like there were parts of it that were a little too, like, tr- you know, trying a little too hard in certain aspects of the cringe comedy. Like that, um, it, it just felt like it was a little too long. Like it was five to 10 minutes too long. And most of that could have come out of the job interview part, which I just felt like, you know, I'm not sure what level of um, surreality they're going for. And, you know, that's for the show to decide for itself. But I just kind of felt like this is, you know, we we get what's happening here. Um, And the interviewer also clearly gets what's happening here. And this is not happening. And, you know, let's let's just cut Um, because in other parts of the episode, it has a better ear for how 
you know, how these situations would actually unfold. Um, for whatever reason, the exchange about him still dealing and like, well, I can't quit because the profit margins like that felt very like realistic to me and believable. <laughs> and the the um, job interview sequence uh, didn't. So I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to vote. But uh, this was this was an enjoyable half an hour. And uh, the logic of cleaning for the cleaner thing, like. I mean, if only, you know, the canon were based on these teeny moments, <laughs> which sometimes for some people and voters, mm-hmm. it is. So I guess we'll see what happens. I just one one more thing about the interview before we move on to Dave is when uh, the interviewer is like, so you took 12 months off. And I just imagined the American parents being like, ah! <laughs> the, the idea of having that generous parental leave, like, because I know yes. what happens in other countries. That's how long yeah. my sister took mm-hmm. off. Well, there's yeah. this show and there's also there's a Canadian sitcom called Work and Moms that came out about the same time. Mm-hmm. And they're both about this like this like I'm going back to my life after my state sanctioned enormously <laughs> long leave whereby yeah. I got paid to stay home with my child. Yeah. And Americans are just sitting at home like, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the episiotomy didn't even heal. I am back on the subway. Exactly. Great. I mean, yeah. talk about a scam, seriously. I, anyway. I'm saying. Dave. Yeah, I enjoyed the show, too. The part I enjoyed the most was that they let the mother be dumb. <laughs> yeah. And, like, dumb in a in a very direct sort of what's going on, sweetie, kind of way. She does have that victory at the end with the pup quiz thing. It wasn't like a Rocky moment, right? It was just like the slice of life, and you had this minor victory, and enjoy it, I guess. <laughs> I enjoyed sort of the level of desperation and the level of success in the ratio between them. I thought it was nice. It kind of put me in mind of Rosehaven, mm-hmm. not only because it's from mm-hmm. that part of the world, but also like the small stories. Certainly the pub setting helped for a lot of it. But if you enjoyed the letdown, definitely seek out Rosehaven if you can find it. I don't know where it is these days. It's still on Sundance or is it? I'll, I'll, let me look while you keep Yeah, talk. You might have to acquire it through methods. Yeah. Um, might have to fly to. It's not available for streaming, according to Just Watch. Those crumbums. Oh. Yeah. We often complain about streaming TV and how disorganized and chaotic <laughs> it can be. But the plus side is that everybody is so starved for offerings for their service is that you get tons and tons and tons of imports yeah. mm. and in, including this kind of stuff, including being able to see, uh, you know, in Rosehaven. What was the other one from Australia we watched in uh, uh, Utopia? Uh, yeah. Which was called something else. Dreamland or something like that. Dreamland. Yeah, it's got two different titles. And that was, was another that was fun like too, an right? office thing with, with both the leads from uh, Rosehaven were in that. Yeah. So, all right, let's put this to the official vote. Tara Ariana, what say you on the letdown? Sarah D. Bunting was on the fence. What are you going to do? I am, but um, I I like that in the pub quiz sequence. It sides with both Pete and um, our heroine. Um mm-hmm. In a way that is a uh, that felt very real. Um, so I'm going to join the team of this episode and say yay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say yay too. That means the letdown season one episode four trivial pursuits. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot great cannon. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for winner and loser of the week. And Sarah has this week's winner. I do. It is uh, Tobias Menzies, who is starring in... My Menzies are blowing up. (laughs) No. (laughs) So... He's starring in limited series Manhunt, based on the book about Lincoln's assassination and the uh, ensuing 
titular manhunt for John Wilkes Booth. Some of the showrunners include people who worked on Mindhunter, um, which for some reason I think is going to be enormously promising um, for this. And it was a really good book. It's one of the sort of few on this topic that doesn't get all kind of sweaty about various things. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward uh, looking forward to that. This seems like something that David T. Cole would be interested in watching as well. I think so. Indeed. And loser. Well, we were talking about farts earlier and we're going to be talking about them again <laughs> because there is a former star of 90 Day Fiance named Stephanie Matto. She was in the news uh, last month for Per her own claims, which I, I'm sure have not been audited, uh, that she was making as much as $50,000 per week by farting in jars and selling them. Now, she has had to suspend her work. This is why she is the loser, because she's been hospitalized. And so oh, no. let's, let's just think, first of all, you know, you can't fly so close to the sun. You know, this is, <laughs> this is you really... Did you just say sun or bum? <laughs> Both. And I I just want to also say, if you're thinking there's a vacuum in the market, I can come in and sell my own farts and pick up where Mm -hmm. she left off. And I also can make $50,000 a week. Maybe you can and maybe you can't. But our healthcare heroes are really busy in hospitals dealing with people who have viruses of various (laughs) kinds. Please don't do anything voluntarily to yourself where you may also have to get hospitalized and and take up resources from already under-resourced people. Are we missing part of the story? Like, is yeah. she hospitalized because she was, like, eating beans all the yes. time so she can make more farts? Oh, was that? Okay. I just thought it was, like, hospitalization for some other reason, like, that she was also a QAnon weirdo. And- no, the extreme amount of farting, apparently, yes. caused heart issues. She Amateur. consumed th- three protein <laughs> shakes and, it, to Dave's point, a huge bowl of black bean soup one day before feeling that something was not right with a pressure in her stomach that moved upwards through her body. So we're saying that beans are not good for your heart. <laughs> Apparently not. She was. She thought she was having a stroke or a heart attack. It was just extremely bad gas, like so bad that she had to be hospitalized. I mean, who among us, right? Ooh. Well, speaking about being hospitalized for things <laughs> that are in your body, do you know what time it is? No, oh, it made no sense. It's game oh, time. Welcome back to Game Time. It's been a while. This is the sixth Game Time of the season, picking up on the last official Game Time, which is the Carol Burnetting Show game from 2021. The season scores are Tara with three, Sarah with one, Value Guess with one. Today we are playing Best of Times, Worst of Times from Amelia Showalter, who wins herself an extra credit topping, topping, mm, topic of her music. Is it farts? No. In this game, you must identify the TV show from its best and worst episodes, as rated by the Tyranny of the Masses over on IMDb. Ooh, okay. Here's the point system. Three points if you guess the show after only the title of the worst episode. Two points after the best episode title. One point after the year and network of the show's premiere. Only one guess. You only get to guess once, so use it wisely. Ah, If you're not sure, ask for the next hint. I will give it to you. Because there are three hints and there's lots of questions to go through, you're not going to have a lot of time. So either you're going to give me the answer or you're going to ask for the next hint. I may force the issue on you if you human hot too much. 
There is one more twist oh. to it, but I'll get to it when it happens naturally in the show. Okay. Let's throw it to Picky to see who we going first. We will start with valued guest. All right. That means Jessica is first, followed by Sarah and then Tara. Are we ready to play best of times, worst of times? Yes. yes. All right, Jessica, I will give you first the title of the worst episode. You either name the show or you ask for the next hint. These are our level one difficulties as determined by Amelia. Here we go. The worst episode of this show is called The Iron Throne. It is... Here's some additional information for you. The series finale. That's Game of Thrones. All right. We now introduce our wrinkles. Since you just named the worst episode, if you can tell me the title or the gist of the best episode, you will get three points for the title, two points for the gist. All right. I I think there's a few contenders here for the best one. I'm just going to hazard a guess that the best one is called uh, Blackwater. That's a good guess. That was a good episode. The one we're looking for is The Winds of Winter, mm. the aftermath of the devastating attack on King's Landing. All right. To Sarah D. Bunting, the worst episode of this show is called Beer Bad. Oh, uh, okay. Controversial, but that's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Correct. All right. Now, you tell me what you think the best episode as voted by IMDb users is. The title or the gist if you don't know the Yeah, title. I have a guess. Oh. Hush. Oh. Can I guess for no points? Is it yep. the body? It is the body. That yes. was my second it choice. Hush is good too. Tar- yeah. The worst episode as voted by IMDB is shit show at the fuck factory. <laughs> Succession. <laughs> Nick Ryanwell Jones is unsuccessful. <laughs> Can't admit. What do you think was the best episode? Uh, I'm going to guess the season two finale. You need to give me information. The one where they're in Croatia and then at the end of it, Kendall comes back to America and busts his dad at a press conference. All the bells say, while Logan is in the hospital, tensions rise. Well, backup plans should be made by the family. It's the one there. Right. That's the season three finale. Back to Jessica. The worst episode of this series is Fly. Is that Breaking Bad? It is Breaking Bad for three points. Name the best episode of Breaking Bad. Is it Ozymandias? Yes, extra three points. That is our first full six question. Back to Sarah. The worst episode, which is the series finale, is called Years, Continents, Bloodshed. Years, Continents, Bloodshed. Hint. The best episode is called Leave It to Beaver. And it is a season finale. Um, hint. This show debuted 2004 on the CW. Or maybe it was the WB back then. I think it I was UPN. Okay, yeah. Can right. I, I'm sorry. Can I have the best episode? I'll give you all the information again. Okay, thank the you. The worst episode is Years, Continents, Bloodshed. The best episode is Leave It to Beaver. This show debuted 2004 on the CW or some or, other yeah, name for the CW former, in the past. Right, okay. I forgot that that was the worst um that's veronica mars i think that is veronica mars that is good for one point yeah tara the worst episode of this show is access that sounds familiar oh access i'm just gonna guess why not is it veep good guess that is a good guess now if i told you no points anymore best episode you're in the wheelhouse 
Two cathedrals. Oh, it's the West Wing. West Wing, correct. Back to Jessica. The worst episode of this series, which also was its series finale, is Last Forever Part 2. Last Forever Part 2. I feel like I've seen this. Uh, but give me the first one. Best episode of the show is How Your Mother Met Me. <laughs> oh, that, well, I almost pitched that for the canon. That's how I met your mother. That is how I met your mother. That is good for two points. Back to Sarah. The worst episode of this series, according to the users of IMDb, is Christopher. Oh, thanks, Picky. That's The Sopranos. That is good. Now, what do you think the best episode of The Sopranos is? Don't according fuck to this IMDb. up, users. College. Uh, fuck off. Incorrect. Other guesses? University? Nope. Pine Barrens uh, is the answer there. Oh, these are all in the canon. I should know these. Yes. Worst episode of this show is Saving for Arraignment Day. I have no clue, so I will take a hint. The best episode, which was also a season finale, is... Look, we had How Your Mother Met Me, so you're getting Development Arrested. Oh, is it Arrested <laughs> Development? You are correct for two points. Back to Jessica. Worst episode of this show is... Cheers looking at you, kid. Cheers looking at you, kid? Cheers yeah. looking at you, kid. Cheers, like clink. clink. Yeah. Looking at you, kid. I, this would be very dumb if it was cheers. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> give me the best. Give me the best one. Good call. The best episode is it's beginning to look a lot like Urkel. No, it's Family Matters. <laughs> Family Matters, two points. Yes. Sarah D. Bunting, the worst episode of this show is The End of the Affair, question mark. I'm going to be mad, but hint. Best episode, series finale, New York, I Love You, XOXO. <laughs> Gossip Girl. Gossip Girl, correct, the original one. That is good for two. This is our last question of round one-ish, oh, no. our easy yep. ones for mm -hmm. Tara. The worst episode of this show is The Economics of Marine Biology. Community. Community is correct. That is three points. Tar, can you name me the best episode of Community or Community? I mean, I have no point? idea what fans of the show think, so I'm just going to guess it's the paintball episode. Paintball episode is incorrect. <clears throat> Remedial chaos theory. The Dean and Andy <clears throat> tried to lend a whale student. All right. That is round one. Let's get the scores, please, Tar. Uh, they're close at the bottom. I have eight. Sarah has nine. Jessica is in the lead with 13. Ooh, nice. All right. Now, those extra three-point opportunities are going to get a little harder because we're ramping up the yeah. difficulty. I, Picky was extremely kind to me in this <laughs> round. Um, I, I'm about to, about to embarrass myself. You don't know. Let's see, shall we? Jessica. Okay. Worst episode of this series is called Boy Girl, Boy Girl Ellipses. Yeah, give me the hint. The best episode, series finale, asterisk, An American Girl in Paris, part deux. Oh, Sex in the City. Yes, correct. That is good for two. Sarah D. Bunting. Worst episode of this series, according to IMDb, is Ashes to Ashes. Hint. Best episode is One Wedding and a Funeral. One Wedding and a Funeral? Hint. This show debuted 1990 on Fox. You know, I thought it was this. <laughs> oh, one wedding and a funeral. I was like, I know this and I'm going to be mad. And I do. And I am. It's Beverly Hills, comma, 90210. 
You're How correct. is Ashes to Ashes judged the worst one? That's the one with Vivica A. Fox. That's a good one. Yeah, I totally mean, it's happening life. But it's Hello, enjoyable. Come on. Yeah, Tara. The worst episode of this show is called The Mighty Casey. Is this sports night? Shit. You had Correct. to. What if I told you the best episode was Nightmare at 20,000 Feet? Then I would say The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone, yes. That hmm. would have been I was answer. about to say The Simpsons. I'm like, no, that was just a segment. <laughs> something on the wing. <laughs> Back to Jessica. Worst episode of this series is Stranger in a Strange Land. Oh, this is lost. Yes, it is lost. Three points. All right. Opportunity to grab three more. What is the best episode of Lost title or gist? It is a season finale is your additional piece of info. Oh, well, that's not where I would have gone with that. Um, Is this the Not Penny's Boat episode where, like, uh, he has to do the code with he plays good vibrations on the telephone and then he puts his hand up and says, Not Penny's Boat? Through the Looking Gas is, in fact, correct. According to IMDb, that is the best episode. All right, Sarah, this is question 17. Oh, the spread eagle. Worst episode is Someday Your Prince Will Be in Effect, Part 1. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Three points. Different strokes. (laughs) What is the best episode of Fresh Prince, according to IMDb? Title or gist? The artist formerly known as Prince. No idea. Mm. That is Papa's Got a Brand New Excuse, a Halloween episode where they go to the ball to pick up costumes. Good for them. All right, back to Tara. This is a series finale worst episode. It is called Last Word. Nope. I will take a hint, please. The best episode is called Losing the Light. Oh, God. I still don't know. This show debuted 2004 on Showtime. Dexter? No, last word was a good clue. That is the L word. Oh, sure. To Jessica, this is question. The worst episode is called Ladies Room. Ladies Room. No idea. Hint, please. The best episode is The Suitcase. Uh, Another hint. 2007 AMC debut for this show. Ladies Room and the Suitcase and AMC. 2007. Uh, I'm going to kick myself. I have no idea. Well, I guess an AMC show? Uh, It's not The Walking Dead. (laughs) I'm just going to let you know. It's not. Yeah, it's definitely not The Walking Dead. Um, 2007 AMC. uh, Nope. Got nothing. I was going to say, if you don't know it from The Suitcase, you don't know the show. Yeah. Yeah. That is, of course, the Walking Dead spinoff <laughs> series, Mad Men. <laughs> uh, see, I this is my like giant hole of cultural knowledge is Mad yeah. Men. Yeah. We all mm-hmm. got one. Yep. At least one. Sarah D. Bunting. Yes. The worst show of this series is called Beard After Hours. Beard. Mm. He strokes it thusly. Hint. Best episode, also a season finale, The Hope That Kills You. Okay. Um, I hope the next hint doesn't kill me. Hint. It is a decent hint because it is recent. 2020 on Apple TV+. Yep. Plus. The morning show? Oh, mm. it's the other one that people know Apple TV+. Plus for. That's Ted Lasso. Oh. All right. This is our last of our second tier. It is for yep. Tara. 
Faulty okay in Tarot Bank. Faulty okay. Insecure. Insecure is good for three. Now, nice. what is the best episode? Oh, God. Is it the season four finale? I need the title or okay. the plot. Uh, it looks like Lawrence and Issa are getting back together, but then they find out that he got his previous girlfriend pregnant that they he broke up with, Condola. Doesn't sound like it. It is called Out Okay. Issa and her new man tread awkward waters at a work-related social event. Meanwhile, Molly juggles multiple suitors. And Issa plays defense against online attacks about her business. That is a good one. That is our level two done. Tarek, can I get the scores? Uh, scores are still close to the bottom. <laughs> I now have 11. Sarah has 13. Jessica has really pulled away from us with 21. All right. All right let the wild we guessing go. begin. <laughs> slash what continue. <laughs> Just a little bit of our game left. Uh, we are back to Jessica. Now, these are, according to Amelia, our level three difficulty questions. Your worst episode is called Sudden Death. Okay. Hint, please. The best episode is called Murder Takes the Bus. <laughs> is this Murder She Wrote? Yay! It is. Two points. Yes. Nice. Jessica uncovers the ugly side of sportsmanship when she inherits part ownership of a football team. Oh, the- boy. <laughs> Maybe yeah, I was going to say. We should. Yeah. For Sarah D. Bunting, this is a series premiere Worst episode. It is called Our Cup Runneth Over. Hint. Best episode is the series finale. It is called Happy Ending. Eastbound and Down. Incorrect. The show we were looking for is Shit's Creek. Uh, Okay. To Tara. The worst episode of this show is The Six Thatchers. The Six Thatchers. Uh, Hint. The best episode is a season finale called The Reichenbach Fall. Oh, Sherlock. Sherlock, good for two. Yes. Nice. To Jessica, the worst episode of this series is called Enter Mr. DiMaggio. Enter Mr. DiMaggio. Um, give me the best one. Best one is a season finale called Bombshell. Uh, give me the third hint. 2012 on the NBC Network. 2012 on NBC. Um, yeah, it's hard to piece together in the moment, but actually the first one's a decent clue. What was the first one again? Enter Mr. DiMaggio. Yeah, I, I, I don't have it. Sorry. <laughs> Enter Mr. DiMaggio bombshell 2012 NBC smash. Smash with the Marilyn Monroe musical bombshell. All right. To Sarah D. Bunting, your worst episode is called Olding. O-L-D-I-N-G. Hint. The best episode is called Aberfan. Hint. This is a 2016 Netflix show. Benson. Mm, so close. <laughs> Very close. Anybody know it? Saw some nods. The crown. Yeah, this is The Crown. Yes. Aberfan is the cold yeah. the, avalanche. The episode you watch once and then never again. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Tara. Father Figures. Worst episode, Father Figures. God. Um, hint. Best episode, Life of Brian. Oh, My So-Called Life. Yes, two points. My So-Called Life is correct. That's a very avant-garde choice. <laughs> to Jessica, The Ballad of Lon Sarkovsky. Um, hint, please. Best episode, The Merry Prankster. Uh, this this does not ring a bell. Um, it's not six feet under, is it? 
<laughs> is not. That is a 2011 ABC show that is happy ending. Oh. Happy oh. ending. All right. Penny starts a rebound romance with the Carzar, is our lawn. Oh, episode. he knows where the cars are. Yep. Serity Bunting, your worst episode is a series finale called Full Circle. Seinfeld. That's a good guess. Incorrect. The best episode is a series premiere called Sundown that is Lovecraft Country. Never would have gotten that. Yep. Tar. Worst episode is also a season finale called Empty Nests. I'm just going to go for it because why not? I'm so far behind. Is this Gilmore Girls? Uh, you got one word right there. Empty Nests. Golden Girls. Golden Girls. Yes, that is the uh, backdoor Sigh. pilot for Empty Nest. Best episode was One Flew Out of the Cuckoo's Nest. So a lot of nest-heavy titling yeah. there mm-hmm. on the Golden Girls. All right, Jessica, here is your last question. The worst episode is the series premiere called It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice. <laughs> it's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice? Yes. Um, hint me. Best episode is called God Walks Into a Bar. A bar is one God word. Walks Into a Bar? Yeah, I don't, I don't have this one. Give me the final hint. It's not going to do any good. <laughs> 2019 on HBO. Recent show. Is it Love Life? <clears throat> Incorrect. Show we were looking for there is Watchmen. Oh, Watchmen sure. sequel series. All right. Sarah D. Bunting. Your worst episode title is The Ugliest Dog in Hawaii. <laughs> Hint. The best episode is called Laura. Hint. This is a show that debuted in 1980 on the CBS network. Oh, well, CBS plus Hawaii. It's hintful. Oh, yeah, that is hintful. If I'm right, which I, I may not be. Monium P.I.? Yes, that's good Ew. for one point. <laughs> it was. I remember both these episodes. The ugliest dog in Hawaii is the one where he basically has a babysit a dog. Oh. The dog has like this English aristocratic name. Uh, it is in the notes. Sir Algernon Farnsworth oh, is the dog's name. Brother. Well. The best episode, best rated episode is Laura. That is the one where Frank Sinatra comes. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So it was just As a ratings hit, I guess, and people remember yeah. it. All right. Last question of regulation for mm-hmm. Tara. Worst episode is called Living in Harmony. Hint. Best episode is called Many Happy Returns. Oh, that feels familiar, and yet I don't know. Mm. Uh, hint. 1967 and ITV. The Prisoner. The Prisoner is correct for one last point. Let's get the end of game scores, please. Ooh, we stayed real consistent. <laughs> Close at the bottom. Sarah finished with 14. I have 16. Jessica truly ran away with this with Mm -hmm. 23. Whoa, nice (laughs) job. All right. Before we hand out our official congratulations, let's play what would have been the tiebreaker. First person to give me the show will get a steel meal for future use. I'll slowly give clues. Answer whenever you want in the process. The worst episode of this series is called... Filmed live before a live studio audience. The Connors? Nope. <laughs> ER. Nope. Want to hazard a guess at this point, Jess? I'm going to give everybody another everybody guess. Everybody gets another guess. Um, filmed before a live studio audience. Uh, 30 Rock. Incorrect. Oh, good guess, though. The best episode is called Previously On. 
This is not that one that wasn't 30 Rock that was... It is not, but I know what you're, you're thinking of great news, but it is not. I could have been Studio 60, but it's not that either. Oh, right. I see. I see. Anybody else want to put a guess in at this point? Or Sounds like on? it's not Studio 60. So, yes, keep going. It is a show from 2021 on Disney Plus. WandaVision. WandaVision ah, is correct. Nice. Yes. Cheeky TV titles for nice. WandaVision. Tara gets the steel mill, but today belongs to our value guest, Jessica. It does. Valued guest. Valued guest. Congratulations. Nicely done. Well done. done. All right, guys. That is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We had a jolly good time watching The Amazing Race to London before going around the dial with stops at Joe Millionaire, Married at First Sight, Season 25, Leonard Kenny. Yellow Jackets and 911 Lone Star. Uncompensated TV think tank Tar Ariano celebrated a tiny triumph, and Greg challenged us to put our foot down on reboots and spin offs. And Jessica's case for the letdown was anything but. We crowned winners and losers, and Jessica was the winner of this week's game time from Amelia. Next up, special on Extra, Extra Hot Great, and on the next EHG Prime, How I Met Your Father. Remember. We're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariana, Johnson, Sarah D. Bunting, can I pass? And Jessica Lees. Is this Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip? <laughs> yes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next. Also, had the comic timing of <laughs> Studio 60. We'll see you next time, right here on Extra Hot. Great. Hey, it's not wrong. No, it does. I have another secondary rule, which is the further away they dress from yoga wear, the more I like them. I don't know why that that is. I don't know why it bugs me, but it does. It's inverse to me, Dave. If somebody shows up on The Amazing Race and they're wearing jeans, I'm like, that team is going to lose hard. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. Oh, oh, I, I don't think it helps them. I just like them a little bit better for some reason. I don't know. Leisure wear on on this, I don't know why. It, it, it's counterintuitive. Absolutely, you should be wearing athletic wear on a show where you're running around. But for some reason, when they're like, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the flight attendants, they're like always in, you know, the athletica stuff. I don't mm. know. I'm just like, eh, one demerit point. I'm, su- I'm surprised to hear you say that, given how much we uh, ranked on everyone when we went to Iceland being in those nylon adventure pants all the time. Because <laughs> that was like the official wardrobe of every location we went to. I'm not selling this as something that makes sense. I'm just <laughs> speaking from the heart and why, it, and just how like my weird metrics and how I weigh things. For some reason, that is something that I they get bumped down. For Fair enough. That. Yeah, it's not, but okay. <laughs>